Hello? Hello? Hello, Cliffy? Cliffy, it's Uncle Cliff Cliff. Cliffy? It's podcast time. And now, the Birthday Boy Podcast. Full stick of butter. Cliffy, it's Grandma Cliff Cliff. Give me a call at your convenience, okay? Cliff, this is your Uncle Cliff Cliff. Here's the host of Birthday Boy Podcast. The one and the only, Johnny Boy. My little baby boy. Baby butter boy. Womack style. Cliffy. I love you. Toggling your balls. Toggling your balls. Where's the rodeo? Uh, toggling his balls. I like your boots. Just below your nipple. Where are you headed? The biggest one yet. Toggle your balls. Targling your balls. Fifty shades of gray. Slack, Cliffy. The biggest one yet. Cliffy. Oh my god. Hey there, teacher. It's going to be outrageous. What's my assignment? Your grandmother. I like your rubric. Great Donnell Winslow. Oh, please. Degrade Cliffy Baseball. With the my little baby butter boy, little butter boy, clippy boy, baby boy. Sweet then. That's how you get blisters, Clippy. That's how you get blisters. Womack style. That sure tastes delicious. In my mouth. Hey, firewoman. Bibleopoly, Cliff. Where's the fire? Puzzle, your balls. You're a smoker. The oatmeal tasting booth. Toggling your balls. Toggle your balls. Baby Butter Boy. The biggest and the best. You goddamn Butter Boy, son of a bitch. I can't get out of fuck of you, son of a bitch. To the Womack family holiday spectacular. Your grandmother just told me the good news. Or as we like to call it, the pizzle. Hellman's mayonnaise. The raucous red glare, the bombs bursting in air, and a delicious Helios pizza in your oven. Puzzle, your balls. Womack style. How was your day today? How was your week? Was it good? Listen to me. Oh my god, I'm so low energy. What a shitty podcast. How was your day today? Was it a good day or a bad day? Was your week good or was it bad? Oh, I do. I have no energy. I don't I don't even want to do this podcast right now. Let me just be honest with the whole thing. I have no interest in doing this podcast right at this very minute. But if I don't do it now, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. I'm just going to skip to episode 23. There will be no episode 22. Is this episode 22? Yeah, I think it is. I feel like last week was episode 21, was it not? Uh, Yeah, episode 21 was last week. All right. 
Yeah, yeah, 21. There it is. I know because I was listening to it. I, I'm uh, the biggest super fan of the Birthday Boy podcast is, is sitting right here talking to you. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, we got a... Uh, I got an, another five-star rating on iTunes, so thanks. Thanks, whoever you are who gave me a five-star rating. So that's, that's nine five-star ratings on iTunes. That's exciting. Oh, my God, it's sweltering, sweltering in here. And I'm still dressed like I'm going out on the town, which is to say I have pants on. That's about it. I never wear pants. I'm wearing pants right now. It's not to say I never have anything on my body. I wear shorts all the time. You see, you see what I'm saying. Oh. So, really, how was your week? Was it good? Was it nice? Did you have a nice week, nice little week, uh, fun. That's good. I'm glad. Tell me all about it. Email birthdayboypodcast at gmail and tell me all about your week. Tell me what you did this week. How was it? Tell me everything. Don't do that. Don't do that. I don't. I have no interest. Zero interest. I have as much interest in your week as you have in mine, which is why uh, this is me going back. I just told a story, and I'm erasing it. I'm wiping it from existence because it had to do with my week. It had to do with work. And A, that's stupid uh, to talk about work. And B, nobody cares. So we're going to move on to something else. Uh, I do want to mention... I've been... Still, I keep going to that fucking YMCA every week. Every week, every day. I think, you know, it's funny. That's why I'm so low energy. Because I've been getting up in the morning to try and, like, get some energy. Get get the metabolism going and all this shit. Start the day. Blah, blah. And I'm, I'm more miserable getting up and going to the Y than if I sat on the couch and ate three bowls of Lucky Charms watching TV and cartoons. But I'm still doing it because I'm a stupid idiot. So I get up, and, you know, some days I just I wake up at, like, 5.15, and I just can't, I'm like, I'm not going back to bed. That's it. That's, that's a solid five hours of sleep. That's all I get. Time to wake up. And so I go to the stupid Y, and I do my little, and it's nothing, believe me, it's, there's nothing really uh, intense about it. <laughs> it's two miles. That's it. I do two miles around the track. Some running, some walking. Then I then I stretch, then I stretch, and then I get the fuck out of there and go home. Um, and it's like I feel pretty good in the morning for a little bit, and then I just I just have no energy. And then by the end of the day, I have no energy. And today today is a special day because I I, did, I went in I went into Boston for just a couple of hours because I had to do I did, I did take care of stuff, stuff that needed to be done, and then ended up not doing the thing that I was supposed to go in to do through no fault of my own. Uh, I'm I'm always happy to blame others, but in this case, it's actually true, like, complete fuck up on somebody else's end. And so it was just a complete waste of my... And, and you know, you can't, you can't get to Boston for free. Like, you can't go... If you park there, if you take the train, if you take... Like, there's nothing free about it. So it's like, I just, you know, I pissed away, like, you know, it's $8 to park at the goddamn train station. It's $21. used to be 20 but those fuckheads at the MBTA had to raise those rates over the summer. 
I guess, you know, I guess because they provide such quality service and reliable, dependable uh, transportation that they've earned the right to raise the rates. I don't know. It's unbelievable. Like, that's, isn't it funny how life works? Like, if you, if you fuck up at your job, you're, you're going to go. You're probably not going to last very long. The Massachusetts Bay Transit Authority fucks up every second of every day. Just one idiotic idea after another and terrible service and unreliable and late things and derailments. And yet they get to charge more money as a result of their ineptitude. It's really extraordinary. So yeah, $21 just to ride the stupid train plus $8 just to park at the stupid train station. And it was a complete 100% waste of time, waste of my day, waste of my money. I won't get into the reasons why or the details behind it. Uh, but to say that I was furious would be an understatement, I think. And, uh, yeah, it just just took away a bunch of, you know, I lost time, things that I was actually working on, other stuff, blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, it sucks. And the people who fucked up my day know exactly they, they f- were fully aware of the fact that it was their fault and apologized profusely. That doesn't really help me. I, I, I'm not really big on apologies because, like, you know, fuck you. Um, anyway. And then, and then to, have to, uh, to have to ride the train. Ugh. To ride the T. Yeah. The T's fine. It's quick. You stand up. You're in and out. Like, who cares? But that goddamn commuter rail... There's there's so many characters. And you know, by the way, like so there's there's anywhere from like 5 to 7 cars depending on the crowd. If it's rush hour, there's they there's a lot of cars. If it's not rush hour, there's maybe like five a train with five cars and like two of them are open. And like one car usually there's like one, sometimes two of these double decker cars. Those cars suck. More than the others, they're just gross. Everything's purple. It's just nasty. Uh, but those cars are nice because if you need a table, like if you need to do work to or from, uh, you know, on your commute, uh, great. Open up your laptop, sit at the table. Problem is, there's two tables upstairs, two tables downstairs. In other words, not many tables, not many tables. And today I took the train in and I thought, well, this is great. I can get a bunch of stuff done. I'm, I'm, I took the 1215 train because I was working from home and then I had to, wasn't really planning on going in, but I went in anyways to Boston and uh, I thought, well, this is good because it's not the morning rush. You know, a lot of people are fighting over those tables to get their laptops set up and do work and all this shit. And I thought, well, oh, this would be great. I'll get, a, I'll get a seat with a table. No problem. I did get a seat with a table. No problem. Except there was a problem because I got the small table. I got the tiny table. I got the tiny table because the big table was being occupied by two people. You could you could realistically fit six people at the other table. You could realistically fit, fit four people on the tiny table. Uh, but there's a dude sitting across from me, and he was using the table to rest his phone while he played Candy Crush. And then there was a... Um, 
and then at the table across from us, the six-person table, the big table, the table that I would have liked, because I kind of had, like, a lot of papers, and I had my computer, and I had notebooks, and I had stuff, like, I really needed to kind of spread out and be efficient and maximize the time on the train, the 40 minutes or so that I'm on the train, and 45, whatever the fuck it is, uh, So, but I couldn't because I was at the tiny table, so I'm kind of, you know just scrunched up on the tiny table trying to do all this stuff without spreading out. And then I look over and there's the big table. And there's one girl with her little laptop open doing things on her laptop. Okay, great. You belong there. That's nice. You get to sit at the table. Across from her was some old fuck who had absolutely nothing to do with the table, did not use the table. He just wanted to sit with a table. I don't know. He just said, hey, look, there's a table. Hey, look, there's a table. I sit there. And so he sat at the table, um, staring out the window, doing nothing with the table. Like, complete waste. Complete fucking waste. And I could have really used that table. So, you know what, assholes? Uh, If you get on the train, and there's, like, most of the seats don't have a table, and only, like, two of the seats have a table, and you have no need for that table, don't sit at the fucking table. Go sit elsewhere. Or you know what? Throw yourself off the roof of the train while it's moving at high speed. Or right on top of the train before it goes into a tunnel. Do us all a favor. Then you've got these imbeciles. Okay, so you just, you know, everybody's so fucking unaware. Like the self, the lack of self-awareness of humans is really... I'm I'm envious. I wish I could just walk. I've mentioned this before. I wish I could just walk around just completely unaware of the world around me, just doing my thing and not giving a fuck. Just sitting at the big table on a train with absolutely no good fucking reason to sit at that table and robbing it, robbing someone else of the opportunity to sit at the table who actually needs it to do work, to open up a computer and some notebook paper. Then you've got these shitheads. So many times, you know, you get on you get on the you get on the train at the station going let's going home from work and everybody's there at four o'clock, five o'clock, five thirty. Everybody's waiting to get on the train and go home. And and of course, again, the MBTA is they're so good at what they do that uh, they have everyone just stand crowd around a small sliding door, a double door that goes out onto the platform. And you don't know which of the nine, ten platforms your train is going to be on, so everybody's just grouped. It's just a it's a herd of people looking at the big board, wondering if they've chosen the right door to wait by. And of course half the people have not, and half the people have. So once they call the train and you're standing on you're standing near the platform number one and your train is oh shit it's platform nine and then you run through all the people no it's not platform nine and three quarters fuck face shut up with your harry potter jokes kiss my ass um and it's just uh boy it's a bottleneck on top of a bottleneck on top of a bottleneck and it's you know on top of that i've had friends who have you know made it well known and it's pretty obvious, like, boy, oh, boy, if somebody wanted to do something really dastardly, oh, you've just got a bunch of people standing there with nowhere to go, just waiting for a little glass door to open 
to go out onto the onto the train platform. Uh, it's it's really a, it's a mess. It's such a fucking mess. And then you've got the fair as fair people, and these are the assholes who you know to try and catch that one guy who rides the train for free. They've spent like hundreds of thousands of probably over a certain amount of years, probably millions of dollars on these shitheads. They've got at every door, as if it wasn't enough of a bottleneck, you've got hundreds of people crowding a small double door to get out onto the platform and get to the train all at the same time. And then and then running up and down North Station to get to... Oh, just a mess. Uh, on top of that, once you do get to the door, that's not all. Because there's usually three or four or five people... I'm not even joking. Three to five people from the MBTA, MBTA security or what have you, and it's fair is fair. F-A-R-E is F-A-I-R. Go fuck yourself, MBTA. Seriously, go fuck yourself with one of your own trains. Um, and that's when, you know, instead of just getting onto the goddamn train, which is hard enough to do to get through that bottleneck, um, you know, fluid dynamics and all that stuff, you've got people, like, crowding the outside of the door who don't go anywhere, and then the people in the middle are filtering on, slowly filtering through the door, and it's just, it's really, it's extraordinary. And then when you do get to the door, you've got the fairest fair people who need to check your phone or your ticket or whatever you have, if it's an e-ticket or if it's a real ticket, you know, your pass, your Charlie card, uh, they need to check that uh, to make sure that you have purchased your fare for this trip. And that, you may be shocked to know, that just causes an additional bottleneck because then people have to stop and hold up their phone or hold up their card. Or people say, oh shit, I forgot to buy my thing. I better, well, now I gotta pull over to the side and then I've gotta download my, I've gotta purchase it and then I've gotta activate it. And then I, it's, it's a, it's a disaster. For such a, you know, so-called smart city, you know, you've got smart, like, People think of Massachusetts, Boston, good schools, smart people. Yeah, not really. Like, the kid, you know, people, some professionals, I guess, and, like, you know, there's there's a lot of good schools. And so, yeah, there's a lot of smart people. They're just not the ones making a lot of the decisions about how things work around town, and therefore that's how you have the MBTA and the fair is fair and the bottlenecks on top of the bottlenecks. And then you finally get on the fucking train and you get you slide in you have, you know if you have a window seat and then of course somebody's going to sit with you you're you're going to be sometimes packed in like three people and just packed like sardines and just awful 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 people sneezing and coughing all of it it's just awesome it's just awesome it's really a, a treat really a privilege and a, a pleasure um what happens is okay there's six stops five six let's see West Medford, Wedgemere, Wil uh, uh, Winchester, Winchester Center, Anderson Woburn, Wilmington, North Bill Ricca, and Lowell. I didn't count that. What, how many is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Anyway, uh, so, like, the good thing is everybody's packed like sardines under the train, but slowly. You go to one stop, and some people get off, and then the next stop, and people get off, and then, you know, and then eventually you get to, like, the third or fourth stop, and you can probably spread out a little bit, move into an empty seat. Uh, what 
happens seemingly every time I'm stuck in the window seat and somebody's next to me. We we get to the first stop and some people get off the train and then some more people get off and then some more people get off. And I look around and I see that there's like 12 completely empty seats around us and the person next to me is completely content, perfectly content to sit in the same seat with me, next to me. Just a couple of pals. Just, you know, thighs rubbing up against each other. Just, you know, knowing what they had for lunch. It's awesome. You know what? You know what, friend? We're train buddies. Definitely don't get up and take one of those empty seats. You sit here with me. We're gonna have we're gonna be best friends. We're gonna be we're gonna be riding buddies all the way to the last stop. You and me. This is great. So cozy, just the two of us snuggle up here when we could I mean we could stretch you could stretch out and actually sleep in those on the chairs over there because there's nobody. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable, the possibilities. But I'd rather you just stay here with me and we just ride this train together. Maybe arm in arm, hand in hand. You know, fall asleep on my shoulder if you want to. I don't care. I, I just, I'm just happy to be with you, stranger. I'm just happy to be with you in this seat on this train that's no longer full. That's now at like 30% capacity and there's tons of empty seats and you could take any of them. So what I ended up, do, what I end up doing is I just pretend like, I, I just say, excuse me. I pretend like this is my stop, and I get up, and I move to the seat, whatever seat's empty. I don't even give a shit. The seat next, I, I don't care. But it's it's extraordinary that people will sit and watch these seats empty out, and they'll stay in the seat with me. And I'm squished up against the window, we're jammed in there, and they're not leaving. Oh, it happened with this old lady... She's on the train every day, and I, I, the first time I ever saw her, I went into the car and sat down and took my seat, and we were, you know, the train hadn't left the station yet in the morning on the way to work, and she's just coughing up death. Oh, my God. She sounded like somebody who died of emphysema and was brought back to life and then got a second kind of emphysema and then died of that, and then the cough that you make when you just like gasp your last gasp of air before you die for the th for in her case for the third time of emphysema that's what all of her coughs sounded like and i didn't know at the time like is she sick is she just like <laughs> is she just passing this out into the so i got up and left i went and it was the quiet car and i was really happy to be in the quiet car and then i heard this fucker hacking up everything and uh with her triple emphysema triple death emphysema cough so i got up and left and then i saw her again on the train like months later and it was the same cough and then months later it was the same cough and then one time i sat down and it's late and i'm tired and we're going home and i just want to go home and then I look up and who's sitting next to me? It's oh, it's old old lady emphysema, triple emphysema, and she's just coughing up a storm the whole time, the whole ride home. And then we get to like three, four stops in, and there's no, there's like eight people. There were there were eight thousand people twenty minutes ago. Now there's eight people on this whole train car, and. Two of them are st stuck next to each other on this seat, 
just inexplicably, like she wouldn't get up and leave. And her friend next to her was three of us. It was me and then her and then another friend. Three people. We made up 50% of the population of this train car. And she didn't leave. And I couldn't, I just, you know, she's got a cane. So I'm like, ugh. I'm not going to make her get up so that I can get up. We're almost home. And I just, I just sat there. I just held my breath for another 20 minutes while she just coughed violently and disgustingly and phlegmily. Awful trains. Oh my God. Oh my God. So I'm exhausted. I'm just exhausted. I'm in general, you know, early day walking around this stupid track at the Y and then. And then working all morning and then wasting my time going into Boston for no good reason whatsoever. Again, through no fault of my own, it's, I'm completely free and clear of any... The, the reason for me wasting my own time had nothing to do with me. It was entirely the result of other people's uh, failures. <laughs> oh, yeah. The train and the old people on the train. And then you've got the... And then you've got Backdoor Fronty, who I haven't seen in a long time. He used to ride the train every day. He was on the same train, the 535 Express train from North Station to Lowell. And he was there, and we called him Backdoor Fronty because uh, a buddy of mine, Christian, who I worked with, uh, rode the same train home, had an even longer commute than me. Uh... And the same guy with his feathered hair and his big, like... He had one of those, like like bomber jackets that you'd see like in the 90s somebody would wear with like like a leather bomber type jacket with like khaki pants I mean he maybe that's why we haven't seen him maybe he found the uh maybe he found the uh the the, the tear in the space-time continuum and was able to get back to his home world of 1992 maybe that was it uh I haven't seen him yeah the feathered hair the khaki pants leather jacket oh man and uh, we call them back to our fronty because you know you get under the quiet car and everybody enters through the, there are two entrances to the quiet car but really you're only supposed to be using one there's one entrance to use and the, and the back entrance is is not is not the one you're supposed to use everybody gets on the same entrance and then you filter through to the back of the car well, this guy thought he was so clever that he would use the back door, and the quiet car is the front car on the way on the way from Boston outbound. The, the, the front car is the quiet car, and so you take the front door of the front car, and that's how you enter the quiet car. And this son of a bitch would use the back door because he would think like, "Hey, while everybody's you know bottlenecking and filtering in." Using the front door to the front car, I'm going to walk all the way to the end and see if that back door is unlocked, and it always is, and he would just sneak right in. So that's why we called him Backdoor Fronty, because the front car, that's the Fronty, and he's taking the back door. So he's a regular Backdoor Fronty. And then we would sing, uh, we, I would sing, uh, you know, that Van Halen Hot for Teacher. Oh, we change the lyrics and say Backdoor Fronty, you know. Riding trains, riding trains, riding trains. I'm back to fronty. Do 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 do. Riding trains, riding trains. 
Back to our front. Oh man, fucking exhausted. I'm singing, singing nonsensical train-related parody songs of Van Halen. What did, what has become of my life? So, oh, for God's sakes. There's the kids in the background. Isn't that nice? There they are. There they are. They have not made a sound in the three hours that I've been home. They have sat quietly elsewhere watching TV, doing homework, or not homework, doing whatever the fuck they do. And uh, as soon as I... It's my fault. I shouldn't have said, hey, I'm going to go do a podcast. I should have said, like, hey, I'm going to go take a nap. Because as soon as I say I'm going to do a podcast, those two imbeciles start screaming and yelling. Oh, I'm in such a bad mood just from everything. I'm just tired. Oh, man. But I'm going to just stop. Maybe I should just stop and listen to the kids. Yeah, of course. And then I stop to listen to them, and they, they, they don't make a sound, fucking assholes. All right. Yeah, so back to our fronty. Uh, that was his MO. He would sneak in. And then one time I got to the I got to the fronty car first, and I made my way to the back. So I was leaning against the back door because that's perfectly reasonable because you're only supposed to come into the front door. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm leaning against the back door, and I'm talking with my buddy Christian, and, you know, there's other people, and we're all starting to pack in pretty tight. And then I hear, like, and I feel the wall behind me, the door behind me move. I turn around, and there's this stupid feathered hair face. There's back to our fronty going through the back door into the front car. So he opens the door, and then the son of a bitch, see, he would he would go in, back door front, he would go in the back door of the front car, and then he would lean against the door, so that once we got to the final destination, he could be the first one to open the back door of the fronty, and then run out and sprint up the stairs to his car, and get. And I've seen that son of a bitch take off and sprint like no one. Fucking Usain Bolt. This is back door... Usain Bolty, fronty, I don't know. Unbelievable, this guy. Uh, so, so I'm standing there, and there's a knock on the door. <laughs> there's backdoor fronty trying to get in. So he opens the door, and then, and then he fucking tries to backdoor fronty himself into the back door. He's trying to take the spot where I was just leaning against the back door, as though he's like claimed that spot, no matter who's there and who gets there first. As though he he owns that he has rights to that spot, so he's trying to like shove me out of the way, and I just won't budge. I'm just standing there and I'm staring at him, and then he you know he finally gives up and moves out of the way, and I'm and I'm looking at Christian like who the fuck, and I'm mouthing like who the fuck is this guy? Who the fuck? And he's just standing there, as a backdoor fronty would do. Oh, what a scumbag! Riding trains, riding trains, riding trains. He's back to our front. E. Do 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 do. Oh yeah. Ugh. Oh. Oh yeah. I'm just playing this on my phone like a fucking simpleton. Bush league. What the hell? When did this story, this song ever start? Oh my god. Uh, yeah. 
I don't, I don't even know where the... Come on. Alright. Oh, yeah! <laughs> when does he say... Come on. Back to our frontier. I don't, I don't know where the... It's just going to go on forever, isn't it? It's like eight minutes until they get to the... Wait. Wait. I think this is it. Right? Ah. Trains, riding trains, riding trains. I'm back to frontier. Yeah. Riding trains, riding trains. I'm back to frontier. Oh, get the fuck out of here. Van Halen. <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> uh, that perked me up a little bit, but I still have no energy. Uh, I gotta go do something, take a break, and come back. We'll be back. Did I talk about Back to Our Fronty enough? I think so. Train stuff. Who gives a shit? Now I'm gonna complain about old people at the Y. Yet again. Right after, uh, no, right, I was gonna say right after this. There's no commercials. It's right after nothing. There's nothing. Just, I'm gonna, t I'm going to take a break. So, right after this break that you're not even gonna hear, we'll talk about stuffed cheese it pizza. Jesus Christ, I hate everyone. <sighs> Got the TV on, so it's awesome. St cheese it's pizza. Yeah, give me a Cheetos taco and a fucking cheese it's pizza and then just like and then and then actually tie me to the train track i want the last thing that i see i want i want back to our fronty to like just barrel over me with the train i i deserve it fuck anyways okay stick around there's more to come on birthday boy podcast episode 22 Yeah. Welcome back. Some local natives coming at you with Megaton Mile here on the Birthday Boy Podcast. Alright, not bad. I think I hit the post. Huh. Way too loud. So, yeah. let's let, let this play for a little bit. Come on, it's a nice, it's a nice tune. It's a nice tune. Do, 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 do. The Megaton Mile. Alright, enough. It's enough of you. Local natives. Local natives. Ah, uh, yeah. Look at that. Fucking 35 minutes? Did I really. Did I spend 35 minutes talking about trains? Riding trains, riding trains, and back to our fronty. 
I feel I, like I've, I've crossed two things off of my list of topics to talk about. Train tables, the quiet car, and back to our frontier. Have, have I talked about literally nothing else? And it's 35 minutes into this podcast. I honestly, like, I coming home, I thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do 35 minutes. I'm going to do maybe 40 minutes of a podcast, and that's it. So, so I guess that's it. I've got five minutes left. I've got a five-minute Cliffy call. I should just play that and be done. But there's just uh, there's too much to talk about. Oh, man. So as I was saying earlier, the why, going there every morning, and it's just such a weird scene, man. I talked about it last week. I'm not going to repeat. Yeah, it's the old timers, and they're there, and they're having you know their little aerobics. There's one woman I walk past, and the track is upstairs, you know, and all the little exercise stuff is is in in the middle of it, and then it also overlooks a window that that looks out over the pool, and then the basketball courts are also you overlook the half of the track overlooks the basketball courts, half of the track goes around the the weight room area. And then there's a big, big windows that look out over the pool. So every time I go around the end that has the windows to the pool, I look into the pool and, you know, there's some people swimming laps, but then there's right next to the lap pool, the, you know, the Olympic sized swimming pool and all that shit. And then there's, uh, there's, there's a, you know, the, the family pool that's always open. So you can, you know, the family and the kids can go in. There's the big swirly giant slide, all that fun shit and the you know the water that pours into the bucket and then the bucket tips over and dumps water on everybody and that's so fun huh? um but it, you know at six o'clock seven o'clock in the morning there's only one person you know there's people swimming laps or sometimes there's a you know water aerobics all that shit and then uh there's the same woman who's there every day in the family pool and she's just leaning against the wall and i th- I think maybe she's stretching, but honestly, I'm there for like an hour or a half an hour. I don't know. This is maybe more like a half hour. I guess it's a half hour. And uh, and every time I come around, she's just standing there. And I feel like she's staring right at me. Of course, I guess I'm staring right at her, so she's probably thinking the same thing. We're staring back at each other, and it looks like she's just she gets up early to come to the Y and just stand in the same spot next to the wall in the shallow end of the pool, in the family section of the pool. I can only assume that she's just... Maybe maybe her husband told her she needs to stop farting and pissing all over the place at home. So maybe she just comes to the pool and that's what she's just... She's just down there having gas and pissing. That's what I would do. That's something I look forward to when I get to be too old to to do any of that stuff uh, to to you know empty my bladder properly in the proper proper places uh you know I, I i can see myself going to the going to a public pool going to a ymca or something and just yeah just diving on in and just pissing myself i think uh i think she's got the right idea i'm not sure what she's doing though it just it, Maybe she's stretching, but she's in the same spot. She doesn't seem to be. She doesn't seem to be moving at all. It's like a corpse. It's like a corpse has been propped up in the pool upright. It just. It just doesn't look like anything's happening. So who knows? It. It freaks me the fuck out though. She's got to be just pissing and farting. There's no question about it. There's no question. Then you've got the. Uh, oh my god. 
Uh, look, I've gone on and on about the wheelchairs. They know, they know how selfish they are. We won't get into that any further this week. Uh, then you've got the uh, the little cute little aerobics class that's happening on the half of the basketball courts as I walk around, and they're playing this music. It's this one guy, and he's got the little headset in, and the guy leading the class is maybe older than the students in the class, all of whom appear to be uh, somewhere between 95 and 108. And like I mentioned, you know, the black socks pulled up to the knee and the sneakers, and it's just, a, you know, it's a whole scene, man. It's a whole scene. Uh, and then the guy leading the class, I'm more worried about him. He looks like he's ready to just keel over at any second. And you're talking about me having low energy today, and I do. I have I have no fucking energy to do this. <laughs> Did you hear me slurp? I have no fucking energy. I have no energy to do this podcast, but here I am. And I'm, I might keel over and die in the middle of the... I mean, that's a, that's a good way to go, I guess. Oh, can you imagine? I die during the middle of the birthday boy podcast. That would be extraordinary. Just fabulous. Uh, but I believe this guy is going to go out, uh, just passed out, face down, ass up, <laughs> in the middle of the gym. I'm quite certain. While leading a fitness class for the elderly. Uh, but I got, I, I think I got a quick, just a little recording. Because the music that they play is just so fucking, just sad. And and it's it sounds like... Uh, it sounds like something you would hear in a dentist's office like 30 years ago. It's, I don't know, like, and I'm sure, like, I get it. They're probably, you know, they're not trying to, you know, they're not trying to play like uh, fucking Pointer Sisters or something, uh, something, I don't know why the Pointer Sisters was the first thing I thought of, but they're not trying to play, play something that's going to give these old, these old codgers a heart attack. They're playing something that has, you know, is, I guess has a, a rhythm of some kind and something that they can just do their leg swirls to. That's all they're doing. There's no like, and now pick up your left leg and swirl it counterclockwise as slowly as possible. And now your right leg. Swirl your right leg as slowly as possible. That's it. Now you've got the idea. And it's, uh, yeah, it's really, it's, it's really something. I have a very poor, very crude, it's just a 20 second audio clip. And I don't even know if I haven't even reviewed this to see if I got anything, but I did, I took a quick voice, you know, a recording, an audio recording of this class. Let's see. Oh, it's Jackson 5. Uh, yeah, wait. Hold on. We'll go back to that again. Leg swirls. I swear to you, he said leg swirls. Leg swirls. We're gonna really ramp it up here with some leg swirls. Okay, and that that clip they were playing some uh, little little Michael, little Michael Jackson. 
Jackson 5, but I tell you, here's what like some of the songs sounded like. Here, hold on. There we go. Okay, everybody. Who's ready to sweat? Okay. We're going to do three reps of five left leg swirls counterclockwise. And go. Swirl to the left. Keep swirling, everybody. That's it. You're doing great. Okay. Now the right leg. Swirl the right leg. Clockwise. There you go. Now you're feeling the burn. Keep on swirling. Now we're going to lift our hands up over our heads. I haven't really thought about the rest of the exercise, but just lift your hand up over your head. There you go. Now you're cooking with gas. Are you feeling the burn already? I know I am. Doesn't this music make you want to get up and dance? Sign up for our Jazzercise class and you can dance to this music. But right now, more leg swirls. There you go, Esther. That's some serious swirling. Oh, yeah. Come on, Jasper. Get into the groove. Let's see you swirl. Okay. This is good music. I should just leave this. This should be the... I should only play this kind of music from now on on Birthday Boy Podcast. Oh, yeah. Brian Bromberg. Martinis at the Velvet... <laughs> and it has a question mark. Martin. It's not Martinis at the Velvet Lounge. It's Martinis at the Velvet Lounge. Anyone up for Martinis? Hey, anyone up for Martinis at the... Ve no, wait. After this, we'll go have Martinis at the Velvet Lounge. <laughs> oh, Christ. Ah, this is... This music is intoxicating. I don't want it to ever stop. Neither do I. I could leg swirl to this music all day. Hey, anyone up for leg swirls at the Velvet Lounge? <laughs> That's my joke. That's my leg swirl joke. By the way, my name's Cliff Womack, and I'm your instructor. I'm here every Friday. 6 a.m. shows different from the 8 a.m. show. Tip your waiter and try the veal. <laughs> I 
I imagine this music is in uh, Cliffy's earbuds when he's when he's doing those home inspections. <laughs> Actually, I imagine this music is playing on the stereo when he's home alone masturbating. <laughs> Pound is open for business. Let's see those leg swirls, Agnes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's get a look at those calves, baby. <laughs> oh, my God. Fuck this. Get this out of here. <laughs> Holy shit. That's fun. That's fun. All right. Be right back with more of the Birthday Boy podcast. I'm Batman. Playing this in honor of the quiet car. Because... I take the quiet car to enjoy the silence. And of course, there is no silence in the goddamn quiet car. It's quiet in the quiet car. Alright. Oh, yeah, see? Depeche Mode knows. Words are very unnecessary. In other words, shut the fuck up. If you're on that quiet car, you shut up. Oh, so... <laughs> oh, you know, I, I mentioned uh, my French teacher, Monsieur Benedetto, last week on the podcast, and how he would, uh, you know, he called one student Venus de Milo, and the one kid in the wheelchair, he called him Wheels... But I forgot to mention one of the... He was just... I like the guy. He was an asshole. Fucking huge asshole. But but I liked him. Because he was sort of comical. You know, like like a lot of teachers are. They're like... There's these weird caricatures sometimes. And this guy would... Uh, this Benedetto, you know... Yeah, he'd call it... Uh, you, you over there. Uh, Venus de Milo. Uh, Venus de Milo over there. Uh... Sava, como sava, Venus de Milo, wheels, como sava, wheels, and then just, just inexplicably, out of nowhere, he would have like a big, he would have a big box of peanut brittle, or sometimes matzah, and he would just be standing in front of the classrooms, just snacking away. He would sit down in his little chair. We we were all in like a horseshoe shape, two rows of horseshoe facing the front of the class, and he would sit in the center and. And teach us French. And, uh, you know, he would, he was one of those guys, like, he would rest his glasses on his gut and he'd be sitting there, but he would also rest, like, his notebook and his lesson plan. And I think one time one of the TVs rested on his tum tum. And, uh, we always get a kick out of that. And then, yeah, he'd be standing there just snack. He'd have a big box of peanut brittle. Like, where do you get a box of peanut brittle? I don't even know. Where do you even get peanut brittle? Why would anybody fucking want peanut brittle? He's sitting there snacking away, and then uh, one time somebody asked for. He's like, "Hey, hey, can we have some peanut brittle?" And he's like, "You want you want some of this peanut brittle? 
I'll pass the peanut brittle around. You each take one piece of peanut brittle and then send it around. So he, he started on one side of the room and everybody took a piece of peanut brittle. And then it got back and it's like, there's, you know, there's 20 kids in the class. And there's, you know, only so many pieces of peanut brittle. And then uh, he would get, we get back to him and it was just an empty box every time. And he'd get so angry and he would grab the box. He'd say, who, hey, what's going on here? Who ate all my peanut brittle? Where's my peanut brittle? And then he would pass matzah around. Just, okay, here's, ma- here's, a, here's matzah. He would pass the matzah around and... And then it would get back to him, and it was empty. There was no more matzah. So he'd pick up the box, and it was just empty. Just a box. And then he would get, he would become just, <laughs> he would become irate. What's going on here? Who ate all my peanut brittle? Hey, where, where's my matzah? Where's my matzah? Who ate all the matzah? And then the class would just, we would crack up. Such an unbelievable guy. And then he would, like, he would read, uh, you know, the textbook was in English, so he would read the question in the textbook in English, and we'd have to answer it in French. And so one of the questions was, your mother has a headache. What would you do to, you know, something like that? So he he just, his his delivery of everything was what really, was really what brought it all home. He would sit down, he'd say, your mother, your mother has a headache. What do you do? What do you do? And then, you know, we'd all have to, we'd have to answer in French. And everybody was terrified because all he did was yell and get angry and then pass around peanut brittle. And you think, ah, what a sweet guy. And then he would screw, wait, the peanut brittle. Where's my peanut brittle? It was wild, wild times, man. Anyways, I thought I would add that, that uh, brief update. Uh, here's something. So, as is, as is fairly obvious, uh, based on the countless times that I borrow liberally from the show, I'm a longtime Howard Stern fan, big Howard Stern fan, and uh, one of the great things, and this is, it's true, they talk about this on the show, anybody who knows Howard Stern knows Ronnie Mund, Ronnie the limo driver, he's Howard Stern's driver, and he's become a character on the show for many, many years. And he's, he's a, he's a, he's an integral part of that show. As far as I mean, he's just like, you know, he, Howard has this ability to take these, you know, Gary's the producer and Ronnie is a driver, but they're two, two of the most famous characters on the show. He takes everybody JD and he, he makes them all characters. They're all, they all become these characters and it's, you know, that's, you know, one of the many talents, and uh, the thing about Ronnie is he's on Twitter, and they've mentioned this on the show that Ronnie responds to if you if you send Ronnie a direct message on Twitter, he will respond to it, and that's one hundred percent true. As I have sent him numerous messages on Twitter, it's usually a one word answer. You're not gonna have like you're not gonna have a conversation. You're gonna have a dialogue with Ronnie, but you're going to get a response, which is just like it's the funniest fucking thing. Because it's like, is this Ronnie the limo driver? How does he have time? How does Ronnie the limo driver have time to respond to this shit? And yet, there he is. And uh, let's see, I've I've got uh, a few. 
I think the first time I, yeah, I texted him back in March of 2018. I said to Ronnie, uh, I mentioned this was like, gosh, this had to have been a couple years ago. RM limo driver 69. <laughs> this is Ronnie's Twitter handle, you know, because he's, he's always going on about 69. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, I, one of the parody songs I, I wrote to him, I said, this should be a, this should be nominated for a Grammy. Best parody song in Stern Show history. No joke. That song is amazing. Great radio, Ronnie. And uh, he wrote back, thank you, do. Because that's, that's, that's another joke. Ronnie doesn't say dude. He says, do. And I sent Ronnie a picture of a, a soda from the grocery store called Squirt. I said, I'm sure I'm the five millionth person to send this, but I saw they carried your favorite non-alcoholic beverage at my local grocer. I wonder what's in it. And uh, he goes, you're right, do you? And, uh, you know, if you listen to the show, you know that Ronnie and Squirt, uh, I I mentioned about his, he wanted to start an animal hospital. And uh, I mentioned that Carrie Dumas, as as you may know from this show, the one and only Carrie Dumas, uh, I said, Carrie Dumas and I are quitting our jobs, going to veterinary school, moving to Vegas just to go and work for your veterinary hospital. Veterinary, veterinary hospital. We're ready to, we're ready to get this shit started. Love you, Ronnie. You're the best, do. And he just wrote back, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's unbelievable that he. I mean, I guess it makes sense that he has time to do this shit because what else is he doing? He's, you know, he's driving Howard a little bit of the time, but. Uh, then I sent him a, a picture of a breath, breathalyzer costume that they have at the uh, at the spirit store, uh, and it's just like a it's a big it's a costume that looks like a big you know an old timey machine, uh, and it's got a tube. You know the guy puts the costume on, and the tube is right near where the penis would be, uh, and it's, it says blow here, and then the the reading says sixty nine sixty nine. I thought. And I wrote to Ronnie, do you, not sure, not sure if you've picked out your Halloween costume yet, but I would like to submit my suggestion. And he just wrote back, cute. Which I just think it's if you if you send a message to this Ronnie, the limo driver, he's going to respond to you, which is pretty unbelievable. Uh, speaking of Carrie Dumas and radio personalities, I guess I didn't ask for her permission to do this. And I, I don't really give a shit, but Carrie had posted something this morning where she called into some kind of goddamn radio show. It sounded like Ryan Seacrest, but I don't think that's who it is. Uh, and Carrie Dumas writes on Facebook, it happened, my life's purpose has been fulfilled, and now I can go to heaven peacefully. So evidently, Carrie memorized like the whole, the entire McDonald's menu from the 80s? Which is really, you know, hey, way to go, Dumas. That's literally none of us can can make that claim. You're the only one who can make that claim, and nobody can ever take that away from you. And now you've had the opportunity to go on local radio, national radio. I don't know. This guy did sound like Seacrest, but I should have confirmed with you if uh, who the fuck this guy is. Maybe it was Roger Wyland. Was it Roger Wyland's big, uh, big board sparge with Roger Wyland coming at you? We got some, we got some zaniness. We've got a caller who's going to recite the McDonald's menu today. <laughs> coming at you, big board sports. And then we're going to talk about Niski Unit basketball. 
Uh, so yeah, fuck it. Uh, Dumas, I'm going to play this. I didn't ask if, if that was okay. Uh, but you know, you've already been on one radio show with probably, you know, two or three more listeners than this one. Maybe. And, uh, and now I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the birthday boy podcast. This is, this is Carrie Dumas calling in to some fucking show to recite the McDonald's menu. It's adorable. Now, okay, my calling oh. When it, I was in 7th grade, they had this promotion where if you memorize the McDonald's menu, yeah. um, or if you got the record that where the guy was able to teach the chorus the McDonald's menu, you won a million dollars. I don't wow. think anyone ever won, but since 7th grade, I've had this in my head, and would you like to hear it? Yeah, please do share the, uh, the okay. McDonald's <laughs> menu from what year is this? Um, it was probably from like 1992. Okay. Oh, okay. Go on. Okay. Big Mac McFeel, Tia Corda Carno with some cheese filet, a fish, a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a happy meal, nuggets, tasty golden fries, regular, larger size, a salt chunk, a gardener, chicken salad, oriental, big big breakfast, big McMuffin, hot cakes and sauces, baby biscuit, bacon, egg, or cheese and sauces, Spanish cash on two and four dessert, hot apple pies, and some history varieties of sauce, or country kinds of shapes, and chocolate Egypt cookies, and a jerky Coca Cola, diet, coconut orange drink, a sprite, and coffee decaf, two, a low fat breakfast, and one orange juice. I love McDonald's, the 10 breaking, and I get the ball one place. Did you say Oriental in the middle of that? I didn't hear Arch Deluxe. I didn't hear Arch Deluxe. See, none of this has been in vain. You have now fulfilled your, <laughs> your destiny. I've had that information in my brain for like 30 years, and I and I thought, I'll never be able to use this, but I'm using it today. And here there you are. On the so. radio. Well done. Thank you for adding Thank value you. to our show. Oh, my God. Thanks. Bye-bye. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. I mean, if you're going to keep that kind of information in your head, you've got to use it at some point. It's impressive. The entire McDonald's menu. Hamburger with some cheese, filet of fish if you please. I don't know what the fuck she says, but that was... Goddamn, Dumas. I don't know where you got that from, but wow, that's... I liked you before, but I love you now. That was that was amazing. <laughs> oh my god. I'm just, uh, you know, of course it would have been nice if you'd called into the Birthday Boy podcast to do that, but, uh, you know, fuck you. Uh, that was, I don't even know, I have no words, I have no words. Carrie Dumas is a, I don't know, a, a, an enigma, you know, wrapped in a mystery, shrouded in, you know, all that shit. Uh, you, should, you just never know what you're going to get with, with this Carrie Dumas. You think you know her. Just when you think you have all the answers, she changes the questions, like Rowdy Roddy Piper used to say. I, who would have known? Who would have known that Dumas knows the entire 1991 McDonald's menu? And who knew that she would have the balls to call a radio show and share that gift with others? So now we all know. That's amazing. Dumas. Fucking Dumas. Love it. Oh my god. I don't even know. Like, I need. I do need some backstory. Like, what. What, what could. What could this jackass on the radio have been talking about? I send us. Call us if you remember any fast food restaurant menus from the late 80s or early 90s, and we'll play your call on the air. I would love to know. What's the. What is the context of this call? 
it would be funny if it had no, absolutely nothing to do. It was just like, just a just a pity, a pity phone call. Like they put her like, oh my gosh, she's she sounds a little touched in the head. She insists on reciting this McDonald's menu. Uh, okay, but the topic of the show is your reactions to Greta Thunberg's uh, activism with regards to climate change. Uh, yeah, but she really wants to read this McDonald's menu. Can I just put her through? Yeah, but we're talking about climate change and some uh, some real significant global issues that impact us all and will have long-lasting effects on our children and our children's children. Yeah, I understand that, but she really, really wants to recite the McDonald's menu from 1991. Can I just can I just put her through? <laughs> That's what I imagine. They were they were talking about some you know socioeconomic political issues, debating religion or something like that, and then. Uh, uh, yes, caller, uh, please please react. <laughs> please respond. Uh, give us your thoughts on uh, on the upcoming election year and uh, how you feel uh, the the state of the country, the state of the economy, and uh, the political landscape. Uh, what's that? She wants to recite the McDonald's menu from 1991. Okay, put her on. I would I would imagine it went something like that. Either way, Dumas, I'm very proud of you. I'm proud that you retained that information after all these years, that there was an opportunity for you to recite that information on on a major public platform, and that the time, the timing was just right, that they actually needed or wanted somebody to call and, and do that. That's awesome. Good for you. Cheeseburger and some fries, filet of fish, and make it nice. I don't remember. I don't know what the. I don't know how the fuck you. Know, that's. Yeah, and you did say Oriental, you fucking pig, you racist, you. Uh, stay tuned for more birthday boy podcast. I think we're getting close to the end of this podcast. A couple of things. Oh, you know what? <laughs> I think I've I've teased this long enough. I was talking about one of the topics of conversation was going to be Christian did it, which I was talking about this with Kimmy the other day, kind of in the the same topic of you know what a shithead I was slash M. Uh, you know, being a dick at uh, at Rob Bowman's birthday party after I invited myself over there. And uh, yeah, Christian, I really was a really was an asshole to poor old Christian back in fifth grade, who I love. Christian, like you know, I haven't seen the kid in like probably fifteen years, but uh, he's a great dude. And he was my friend in elementary school. I used to go over to his house all the time. He was into making videos and stuff, and like you know, a lot of the same interests. And uh, yeah, one day, you know, it was he was also you know it was easy to kind of like break his balls. Before there was Cliff, there was Christian. And uh, one day, yeah, this was in fifth grade. I used to just kind of break his balls a little bit. It was you know. Nothing, nothing that I thought was all that terrible, but, you know, 
that's not really it's not it's not it's not for me to decide <laughs> whether or not it's offensive if I'm doing something to somebody else. Huh. So anyway, Christian and I were buddies in elementary school. And we remained friends. We still, like, if I saw him now, we'd hang out and have some laughs. He's a great guy. He's a really great guy. Uh, but in fifth grade, man, did I... Much like uh, much like another very good friend who I referred to as Sir quite often and then, you know, entered his name into the Road Rash book. Yeah, you know, maybe I'm not, uh, not always such a great friend. <laughs> maybe, maybe in elementary school I was kind of a jerk-off. <laughs> Unlike today. Complete opposite of today. Day and night. Day and night. Anyway, so Christian... Somebody might correct me on this, but I I feel like it was in class one day in uh, Mrs. Koch's fifth grade class, and uh, something she asked who did something you know something something had been misplaced or some some bullshit I don't remember what happened, and she said who did this, and I just kind of like kind of like Bart on The Simpsons when he knocked over Krusty's the entire set and he goes I didn't do it. And then everybody started laughing, and then he was the I didn't do it boy. But this was like years before that episode. <laughs> and uh, Mrs. Kai, who did this? Who whatever it was. And I just I just kind of out of nowhere I just said, Christian did it. And everybody fucking died. Everybody cracked up. They they lost their shit. They thought that was the funniest thing. And then it just caught on. Like no matter what happened, anytime anything would happen, somebody would not just me, but somebody would say, Christian did it. So like, uh, who put chalk in these erasers? Christian did it. <laughs> who, <laughs> uh, who uh, uh, I don't know. Who left these math review books all over the floor? Christian did it. Who spilled water out in the hallway? Christian did it. So every, every fucking thing, every fucking thing. <laughs> that happened in fifth grade somebody and it wasn't just me like i did it once and then everybody just ran with it everybody would anything anytime anything happened christian did it but then like but then everybody else kind of caught on like like my mom got into it one time i remember I i was on the phone with christian and we were just like having a conversation and uh and then my mom picked up i was like hey hey my mom wants to pick up the phone she wants to say something real quick and my mom picked up the phone and she, she she goes she picks up the phone she goes Christian did it <laughs> and it just was like yeah like kids were doing it adults were doing it it was like a real life version of like when uh when Kevin McAllister in Home Alone 2 is getting picked on by Buzz at the school when they're doing the Christmas concert and Buzz is you know pretending to play the drums with Kevin with the with the candlesticks and then Kevin, you know, pushes him and knocks him off the stage, and it's all and all the but while but while Buzz is pretending to drum on Kevin's head, all the parents, even you know that Uncle Frank and you know all the other than Kevin's parents, every adult in the auditorium is laughing. It was kind of like that with Christian did it. Like I think even I think even eventually, like our teacher said it a couple times, and the place went nuts. Like oh, oh my God, Mrs. Gotch said Christian did it, and then we and then everybody just it just it just ran. It was like wildfire it just spread and it just it just grew and grew and developed a life of its own and everybody said Christian did it and yeah and then I would you know 
we would be. I, I, I would be over. I'd be over at, at his house, at his fucking house. Like I'd, he'd invite me over to to come and hang out, and uh, and I would get like, I would get his mom to say, like his own mom, and he would he would go to the bathroom or something, and I'd, I'd be like, hey, when uh, when Christian comes back, uh, can you uh, can you say Christian did it? And uh, and then Christian would come out of the bathroom, and I'd be like, hey uh. Hey, uh, you know who left that giant log in the, in the in the bathroom? And his mom would say, "Christian did it." I don't know if that was the exact scenario, but I did get I got his mom, I got his you know family members to say it. Like it just, and he hated it. He hated every fucking second of it. There was not one moment where he enjoyed Christian did it, and so naturally I would just say it over and over again, and everybody would say it, and adults would say it, and it would just. It just kept going and going. And then one time, I think he, like... Yeah, I think he really... I think he tried to kill me at one point. Much like much like Nate did in, uh, in uh, one time when I kept calling him sir, and he flipped out, and I thought he was going to, you know, throw me through the window. And I think Christian tried to do something similar. When, uh, you know, like, Chris, I mean, just anything. Like, Christian would come in, you know, in the morning to school and we'd be getting ready to hand in our homework and I would look at his homework and be like, hey, uh, do you know who did that? And he'd be like, what do you mean? And I'd be like, Christian did it. Christian did it. You did your homework, right? Get it? You did it. Christian did it. You did it. That's funny. I'm funny. It's a funny joke. Everybody loves it. Everybody's laughing. It's funny. Christian did it. That's funny. Come on. And uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was funny for us. It was not remotely funny for him. And then, uh, yeah, and then one day, gosh, I think, um, I think Christian almost killed me. I was at his house, and I was joking with Christian's mother. I, I think we were talking about, uh, you know, because at my, my fifth grade birthday party, uh, <laughs> Christian and some friends were down in the basement, uh, you know, pretending that they were using my dad's treadmill and exercise bike and exercise equipment, but really they were going through his, uh, they were going through his uh, 1970s Playboy collection that I had found one time that I would stumbled upon. And, of course, that became, you know, that was fucking Holy Grail. The Holy Grail, if you didn't even know that the Holy Grail existed, and then one day you're like, hey, what's this box? And you open it up, and, oh, my God, as a, as a fucking 10-year-old, 11-year-old, can you, oh, my God. I almost, I think I passed out. I think I came to an hour later and then looked back in the box and then passed out again and then came to another couple of hours later. And he was at my birthday party. He was, yeah, he was looking at the, he was looking at the Playboys. And uh, I think I was joking about that with his mom. And so I was talking about, hey, uh, you know who was looking at the play? You know who was looking at my dad's Playboys? Christian did it. <laughs> and she was laughing. She didn't care. She thought it was funny. Like, ah, eh, you know, you you guys are, you know, you're almost twelve. You're looking at the Playboys. Ah, eh, it's all good. She was she was great. She was such a sweet woman. And then uh, we go outside to, like, hang out in the backyard and do stuff. And I hear the door slam, and I turn around, and Christian has, like, fire coming out of his eyes and his nostrils. And he's just charging toward me. And I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> this is it. This is where it ends. This is where it ends for me. I have lived a full life of 11 years. And, uh, yeah, like, I think he, he grabbed me by the collar and, like, he did one of the, he did, like, a leg sweep. <laughs> <laughs> and took me down, and I'm like laughing, like what's what is happening right now? I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, you don't fucking ever 
talk to my mom about Playboys, you fucking piece of shit. I'd be like, but Christian, you did do it, remember? You were looking at the Playboys, you could say Christian did it, you did it, you looked at the Playboys. He's like, fucking stop saying Christian did it! And And I, you know, like in most situations where I think somebody's going to murder me, I just double down and uh, continue acting like an even bigger dick than I was before. I'm like, so, I'm like, so Christian, if you kill me and the police, (laughs) the police come trying to find out who committed the crime, you know what they're going to say, right? And he's like, don't fucking say it. I'm like, Christian did it. (laughs) And then he pounded my face until it was unrecognizable. This is actually a, this is a this is very good plastic or very bad plastic surgery, the uh, the visage that you see before you. If you were actually looking at me right now, yeah. So so yeah, Christian did it. That that will be uh, hopefully etched on his tombstone, much like how Dan Holt will have Doctor Ice on his, and uh, how Nate will have. Here lies Sir on his tombstone. And I will have uh, world's worst friend, world's biggest douchebag, something like that on mine. Oh, goddamn. All right, stick around. There's more to come. That was it. All that, like, teasing the Christian did it story, and that was it. It was really (laughs) a huge letdown, wasn't it? Oh, man. Exhausted. All right. More to come. All right. couple small things. I wanted to talk about recruiters. This is a weird topic. Uh, it's just... 99% of them... Just a horrible breed of human there's some really really good ones though and I'm fortunate I'm fortunate that my Rolodex of recruiters is uh, it's, it's a lot of really really good ones but to get to those really really good ones and to have those really really good ones in your contacts uh, and I'm talking about professional recruiters you know for jobs and things like that uh, to get to those really, really good ones, it takes a while. You have to go through some real pieces of shit to get there. And I was just thinking about some of the some of the recruiters that I've... I mean, I was a recruiter for like three months. That was the worst job. I've talked about that. That was the worst job ever. Truly, truly awful, awful experience. But there was... Uh, in, the, in the early days of my career, uh, I, I was just thinking the other day about some of these fuckers... There was one, I had this phone screen one time. I lived in, it was when I was still in North Carolina. And I was really trying to not live in North Carolina. Get to the Northeast. Particularly get back to New York. That would have been nice. And uh, I found this job that looked, like the salary was perfect. Like everything was like, oh man, this is nice. And uh, and I got a call back. I had a, a talk with the recruiter. And then it led to a phone screen as well. Uh, that was one. I remember having the phone screen and I remember coming back to my desk and Cliff was there and I walked into Cliffy's little cubicle and I 
I did the, uh, you know, I mimed uh, the act of like swinging a baseball bat. And then I put my hand over my eyes like a visor, like I was watching, I was watching the ball sail way out into the outfield. And because I thought I, I thought I had knocked it out of the park, this phone interview that I had. I thought that's if they don't fucking hire me today, there's, there's something really wrong. And of course I never heard from them again after that. So clearly, clearly only one of us thought that that was a, uh, <laughs> that was a walk off that particular phone screen phone interview. Uh, but prior to that phone interview, I had the, you know, the phone screen with the, the internal recruiter from the company and what a piece of shit this, this one was because, you know, Look, my resume is very interesting. It has, you know, it's a lot of businessy stuff, and uh, but it also has that bachelor's degree that says film because I got my bachelor's degree in film because um, I'm a stupid idiot and went on to get a business degree instead of instead of continuing with things in film and television and that, that sort of that sort of thing. Because I'm I'm really smart, so I went and got my MBA, which only the smartest people get those degrees. They don't they don't just hand those out, you know. Other than all the people that they've handed them out to, they don't just hand those out. But uh, so yeah, so it's it's an interesting you know, it's interesting conversation piece, and it's you know, it's also interesting because it tells me who I do and don't want to work for. And it tells me the kind of people that I'm going to be working with, depending on their reaction to that piece of information, because it says John Hopkins MBA and then underneath it, bachelor's degree in film. And there's two kinds of people. There's the person that looks at those and says, wow, wow, that's so interesting. So you oh, wow, cool. You have a film degree. So you like make it move. Like, do you still do it? What do you do? Are you really still into it? What made you decide to get your MBA? That's really neat. Yeah, I have a bachelor. I, I was in music. You know, I'm, I'm a musician. I did this. I did that. There's like that kind of person. And then I say, okay, this is somebody I would like to work with or work for because they're like a human and they realize people have different interests and they can sometimes switch gears and... You know, that's good. And then you've got the other asshole who says, like, oh, <laughs> I had one interview once where the guy he's like, just started laughing. He's like, ah, film degree, eh? He said, yeah, film degree. Go ahead, shit on me. It's going to be fun. He goes, yeah, my son's really into all that stuff, but I'm trying to talk him out of it. I'm like, yeah, awesome, because the world needs more MBAs. Maybe he can be a lawyer or a banker, because we don't have enough of those. Definitely talk him out of film. Definitely talk him out of the thing that he enjoys. That's what you should do. Whatever you do, do not support him. Do not encourage him. Only show interest in the things that have to do with him making money, getting a nice a nice job or a nice suit or a sharp tie, and he can look real, real polished and professional. As soon as he starts gravitating back towards any of that film nonsense or any, like something that might provide him with joy you just you set him straight so there's like the two that's it those are the two responses to my resume it's either like wow cool awesome tell me more about this or like ah, you stupid idiot you tried to be happy and then finally you smartened up and went and got your business degree and now you're a businessman like the rest of us good for you uh and then there was this one piece of shit that i was referring to earlier who, uh, before I got onto this interview that I thought was a walk-off, 
<laughs> out of the park, uh, which was none of those things. Before I got to that one, uh, I went through the recruiter, and she got a good look at it, and she said, oh, film degree, huh? I said, oh, God, fucking, here we go. Yep, go ahead, shit on me, please. Uh, let me guess. You thought you were going to be Steven Spielberg, and that didn't quite work out the way you had hoped, did it? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I never thought I was going to be Steven Spielberg. I never aspired to be Steven Spielberg. I was really interested in making, in making things with a camera, motion pictures, video camera, videos, and and my response is, but but I you know I fell off my bike and smacked my head into a wall, and then I went and got an MBA because I finally had the IQ needed to uh, to be in this line of work. As as you know, as you clearly know, that's my response. And then go fuck yourself. I wish that was my response. I just kind of I kind of chuckle and say, well. You know, I don't agree. I don't say like, "Yep, uh, that was me." What a stupid idiot trying to do something that was interesting to me. And luckily, I smartened up and went and got a business degree. No, I don't. I don't fucking, you know, I don't go along with the with that shit. I just I set them straight. I'm like, nope. I really love making movies. I still do. I still hope that I can, you know, do something with it because I'm not dead yet. You fucking bitch. Uh, but no, I never thought I was going to be Steven Spielberg. I, you know, just one of those people who can do multiple things and be successful at it. And uh, I can still be a part of film and video and uh, also be successful in my career. So, yeah, thanks for shitting on me. Uh, you're dead wrong and you're an idiot and an asshole. And uh, go fuck yourself. So, yeah, she was one of my fits. It's a lot of the, actually a lot of the recruiters in the uh, in the Albany, New York area have been the biggest pieces of shit of the recruiters that I've talked to, almost exclusively, <laughs> almost exclusively. Uh, there was one I had a phone interview one time for GE in Schenectady, and uh, I don't know where I was working. I don't know if I was still in New York, but I had talked to this HR person, and uh, I had worked for a bank. Uh, I had left that bank and was working someplace else. I might have been in Florida when I talked to this GE person. It's quite possible. And I took the phone interview in the car. And I remember this woman just berating me. Because she said, uh, she said, let me get this straight. So you used to work for this bank, which is uh, it's across multiple states of jobs all over the place. And you left? Why didn't you look for something that... She was, like, literally yelling at me over the phone. Why didn't you stay and look for something there? Why didn't you try to move up within the company? And then I just explained to her. <laughs> calmly explained to her, like, well, that was 2008 and 2009. And that's when the economy tanked. And the jobs postings internally went from like hundreds and hundreds to like eight jobs and they were all like bank teller eight dollar an hour so you know i did the right thing and found a job that actually existed sorry to disappoint you that i didn't stay at my other position but really i guess 
I guess that's why I'm here today. Are you? Is that what you do as a recruiter? You berate people who are trying to find a new job because they didn't stay at the job that you think they should have stayed? And she's just going on and on. And I was like, look, there were no fucking jobs, you idiot. So I left. And now I'm trying to leave this job and come work for you. Do, like, obviously, you've already made up your mind that I suck because I'm not working for the place that I was working before. And, uh, and clearly, I can already tell that I will not be working for GE, which, frankly, is fucking fine with me. Because I'm sure that place blows. Uh, and then there was... Uh, yeah, that's right. St. Peter's Hospital. Good old St. Peter's Hospital. In Albany, New York, where my oldest child was born. Lovely place. And I was in Florida, and I applied to a position. It was just, a, it was just an analyst position. Had the phone screen, and the woman's yet, she's like, look at this. So you worked at one job for a year, and then another job for about a year and a half, and another job for about a year and a half. You're a job hopper. That doesn't look very good on a resume, and that's not the kind of thing we like to see here. I'm like, well, could it be that I'm trying to find that job that I don't have to leave and I just stay there? And perhaps, perhaps your fine organization is just the right organization for me, and perhaps this job is the one that I will stay with forever. Oh, that's nice. They just... Yeah, that's fucking bullshit. They just had Brock Lesnar pin uh, Kofi Kingston in like two seconds. That's cool. Great job. I love uh, I love when WWE just trolls the fans with Brock Lesnar. I think he's a big reason of why I'm like very rapidly losing my interest in the whole thing. Like, it's enough already. Oh, brother. I've got the first ever Fox Smackdown on the TV as I'm recording this, so sorry. Uh, Anyways, so I explained, I politely explained to this woman, like, oh, you're, without calling her old, I'm like, oh, you're a baby boomer, so, yeah, you, you entered a world that was created by people who actually give a shit about something, and so you... You know what it's like to be able to work at the same job for 20 or 30 years and get a pension and a gold watch and have job security. Uh, my generation doesn't know that because your generation completely fucked us. So that's why I've left a bunch of jobs. I uh, uh, I worked at places where I saw people being laid off left and right, left and right every few months. And then I left and went to another place. And then another, because there is no such fucking thing as job security, because you assholes, your generation devoured the planet, and now my generation and the ones younger than me are wading through the fucking humongous earth-sized bowel movement you left in your wake. So, sorry if I didn't stay at my jobs long enough for your liking, you fucking bitch. But that's the world that... Maybe the world you don't live in, but it sure as fuck is the world I live in. And I don't give a shit. And yeah, I've spent the most, I've the longest I've been at any one position is three years. I would like to change that. I would like to stop. You know what? I'd like to fucking stop job hopping. But between like layoffs and no job growth and things like that, yeah, I've left. I've left them all. And some I've come back, some companies I've come back to. 
I go wherever the fuck there's a place to be employed and a paycheck to be made. And thank God St. Peter's fucking piece of shit hospital wasn't one of them. Great nurses, great doctors, great staff. Beautiful experience. Uh, Not so much for the accounting and finance department. Fuck you. Yeah. And then a lot of recruiters are just like, you talk to them and you, you can just, you hear their voice and the way they talk and you're like, oh Christ, they're reading from the script. These people are brand new. They're greener than grass. And then you look at their LinkedIn and it says, <laughs> join the recruiting firm in July of 2019. And prior to that was a hairdresser. Oh, okay. And they're going to find me a job. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, but no thanks. And I uh, here's a spoiler for you. In six months, you'll be not working here. You might be back at the hairdressing place because you ain't cut out for it. It's a that 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 recruiting stuff is a cutthroat job. A lot of morons, a lot of assholes. The ones that are successful uh, are the ones who are neither of those things and are just smart, hardworking motherfuckers who give a shit. And uh, yeah, so I'm fortunate that most of my Rolodex of recruiters are the latter and not the former. Like, really, really, really good people. But uh, those are the ones that I've provided you some stories uh, with today are uh, just a sprinkling of some of the ones who were uh, less than less than helpful in my, in my quest, in my journey. Yeah. And as I've mentioned, my time as a recruiter was uh, the worst three months of my life. Not even, nothing even comes close to that. Not even a fucking distant second place. You know what time it is. been a while let's see what Fritzy has to say this week Reverend Vicky Sears was pulling up carrots from his garden Tuesday when he pulled one up that looked just like Fern's mother his mother-in-law or rather the orange root looked like a caricature of Fern's mother Trita. Mm-hmm. Fern's mom is a substantial woman true she's very old now 96 but homely as a mule's ass This carrot's ugly, uglier than your goddamn mother, Fern. But how was he going to get Fern to see this and still keep his marriage intact? I mean, Fern would not take kindly to this comical carrot. That is, if Pinky presented it with an observation of its resemblance to her mother. But, you know, if Fern noticed the resemblance herself, well, she'd laugh. She would. Binky loved it when Fern laughed, and so Binky. It was a diabolical plan, but one that just might work. the other plain old carrots, Fern could not miss this carrot, and so Binky did just that. Put the basket of the carrots in the pantry, went out to his workshop to potter. When he came back, 
He found Fern and her sister, Louise, there in the kitchen at the table, and they were laughing hysterically. Fern was laughing so hard she was drying her eyes with a napkin. Well, I see you found the carrot, Binky said. Yes, Fern said, and we have to be very careful who sees it. She would be very hurt if she ever knew we got such a laugh from this carrot. My thoughts exactly, Binky said. Oh, you're such a good sport, Binky, Louise said. But you gotta admit, it does look exactly like your mother, she said. Looks exactly like Nadine, she said. Well, Binky was sure she was putting him on. She wasn't. That looks like your bitch mother, not mine. Up next, your hometown weather. Uh-huh. All right. Fritzy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Binky pulled up a carrot that looked like his mother-in-law, and he was afraid to show his wife the ugly mother-in-law-looking carrot, so he hit it with the rest of the regular-looking carrots, and then she found the carrot and was laughing about it because she thought the carrot looked like his mother. And that's it. That's the story. That's, I tell you, nobody spins a yarn like Fritzel. Although I can think of one person, and perhaps that's filthy Fritz Weatherby. Fritz Weatherby. I see you on my TV. Scrotum's McDougal was out picking coconuts from his coconut tree. You see, even though this was Knob, New Hampshire, Scrotum's had his very own palm tree, a coconut-bearing one at that, in his greenhouse. Well, wouldn't you know, as Scrotum's was gathering up the day's coconuts from the coconut tree in the McDougal family greenhouse, he noticed two particular coconuts that bear a striking resemblance to the breasts of Scrotum's wife, Smutty Shitbrain's sister, Queef Urkel. It was no secret in Knob, New Hampshire, that Queef had the finest bosom in town, and certainly her sister, Scrotum's McDougal's wife, Smutty Shitbrain's, was always jealous of how rather well-endowed she was. So naturally, when... Scrotums found these two coconuts that bared an uncanny resemblance to his sister-in-law's boobies. He didn't know what to do. So he did the only thing that any man would do. He humped those coconuts until he passed right out on the floor of the greenhouse. A short time later, Scrotums McDougal's neighbor, Mudbutt Frumpleton, wandered over to the greenhouse and discovered Scrotums passed out with his pants around his ankles on the floor and found two coconuts in a rather precarious position as well. Mudbutt was able to revive Scrotums, but then as Mudbutt looked at the coconuts, looked at Scrotums, realized what the coconuts resembled, realized what Scrotums had done to himself and done to defile those coconuts. Mudbutt said, Scrotums, we've got a real problem here. 
Once your wife's muddy shit-brains sees what you've done, she's going to be awfully sore at you. You may be sleeping out in the barn for quite some time to come. Well, as you can imagine, Scrotums McDougal came up with a plan so his wife wouldn't see what he had done to those two coconuts that looked like his sister-in-law's titties. They put the two defiled coconuts into a wheelbarrow with the other coconuts that had not been touched, the untainted coconuts, if you will, and they wheeled them out to the main house, the farmhouse where Smuddy and Queef were sitting at the table having their afternoon tea, with, of course, their good friend Flippy Fartmouth, and her husband Arnold P. Quackers. Well, sure enough, Scrotums hid the bosom-sized coconuts underneath the normal, non-tainted coconuts in the wheelbarrow and wheeled them right on into the house, right past Smuddy Shit Brains, Queef Urkel, Flippy Fartmouth, and Arnold P. Quackers. Just then, Queef got up and said, Oh, see there, mud butt and scrotums. Let me have a look at today's haul of coconuts. Smutty Shipbrains got up and said, Yes, scrotums, mud butt, let's see the coconuts. Well, it was at this moment that they started rifling through the coconuts, taking one out at a time and putting them on the tabletop. Eventually, they got to a point where all that was left was two rather ample coconuts that had clearly been defiled by someone or something. Oh my, what the fuck happened here, scrotums? yelled Smutty. Arnold B. Quackers and Queef Urkel, Smutty Shitbrains and Flippy Fartmouth all looked at these coconuts in complete and utter disbelief. It was at this moment that Scrotums McDougal. It was at this moment that Scrotums snatched the coconuts up out of the wheelbarrow, held them tight to his chest, started to sprint out of the kitchen, hoping that perhaps if he got rid of the evidence. This could all be forgotten, and they could pretend like he never had sex with two coconuts that resembled his sister-in-law, Queef Urkel's, breasts. Of course, just as Scrotums grabbed the coconuts and ran for the door, he tripped over one of the chair legs at the kitchen table. The coconuts went flying through the air and landed in smutty shit-brain's shirt. In a cruel twist of irony. Of course, at that moment, too, Scrotums McDougal's pants also got snagged on the chair leg and they were pulled clean off of his body. Well, it was at this moment that Scrotums fell down on top of Mudbutt Frumpleton, his penis landing in Mudbutt's mouth. It was at this very moment that Arnold P. Quackers stood up and pointed at Scrotums McDougal and Mudbutt Frumpleton, said, Well, Mudbutt, looks like you just had your cock and ate it, too.
Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh... Time to end this. Yeah. Good times. I got a little bit of my strength back. A little bit of a second win from doing this podcast over the last several hours. Uh, that's not true. I'm ready to go to bed. I'm going to go to bed right now. I've had enough. Had enough. Yeah, that's it. We covered We covered everything. Everything I wanted to talk about was covered. Some day. And then some surprise stuff. I Who knew when I woke up this morning that uh, Carrie Dumas would gift me with her call into a radio show? That I could uh, play without her knowledge, uh, or or uh, sign off on this on this show. So that's fun. Uh, oh, you know what? I did want to read one text. And uh, where are you? Where are you, Jody? You're somewhere on here. Uh, my good friend Jody mentioned. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna I'm gonna read everything, but Jody sent me some nice texts. Of course, Cliff is on this thread, too, and his response is uh, radio silence. But Jody, this was a couple weeks ago, (sighs) Jody said, Okay, just a hint of more feedback to come. Episode 5, favorite so far for so many reasons. And let me just add parenthetically, episode 5 was the first episode where I was like, Yeah, all right. I know, I think I have a good idea of where I want this thing to go and what I want it to be and what I want it to sound like every week. Episode 5 was like I jumped up on a Sunday afternoon on Father's Day. I was like, I have to record an episode today because I know what I want to do. And this is what the podcast is going to be like, I think. So when people say, when and I don't remember what I did on every episode of this podcast. There's a handful. I know episode 9 was Bank Life. Episode 5 was OJ and Father's Day stuff. And there's a couple other things, but I really, I don't remember. I couldn't, if somebody said like, what's episode 16? I I don't know. No idea. But I know episode five. And that was when it was like, okay, I think I, I think I know what I'm going to do here. I think I know where we're going to go. So episode five, favorite so far for so many reasons. Joe, my new squeeze is honest to God, repeating your words the way dudes do when they hear funny shit, which that makes me happy. I do the same thing and it's my own shit, which is really sad. I'm like that guy, like in PCU, don't be that guy who wears the the shirt to the concert that you're going to of the band that's performing. I'm like, don't be that guy. Don't laugh at your own fucking material. But I'll hear like a song from the podcast when I'm in the car with Kimmy and I'll start, don't be like, Cliffy, full stick of butter. And she's just can't believe what a scumbag I am. <sighs> yeah, she believes it. It's all too real for her. Uh, Jody said we were both in tears over the marijuana story, which I think is cool because that's, you know, when it's a story that just is like me and one other person and it's, I tell these stories and I think like, God damn, this, this isn't good for, this is entertaining for me and the couple of people involved in the story. This is like a total, you had to be there kind of moment. So when I tell a story and somebody who wasn't there and who doesn't know the other people in the story thinks it's a great story and thinks it's funny, that really makes me fucking happy. So that's awesome, Jody. Thanks. Uh, and Jody's boyfriend, dude, squeeze, main squeeze. Joe very much wants whatever brand of pot that was you got a hold of, too. We got home and had to go back out. And he says, as we're getting in the car, hey, put that dude on. That dude, you mean Hopkins? Oh, yeah. Hopkins, all right. So that's cool, man. Uh, 
Yeah, and then she said, you know, this Joe fella could give a shit about uh, having never met me and, you know, any of this stuff. Uh, so, so you're getting true blue who cares about John Hopkins feedback. So what she's saying is this guy doesn't know me. I don't know him. He doesn't give a shit about things that I'm interested in or what I do or any of this stuff, but he loves the podcast. So that's like, that's cool. That's, that's the first confirmation of like a complete stranger who I've never met being into, into the pod. So I think that's, that's pretty good. Uh, then Jody proceeded to (laughs) to send me a picture of this Joe uh, in a Carolina Panthers jersey, and he's definitely a grown ass man, and he looks he looks like he could uh, rip my head right off of my body with his bare hands. So, um, yeah, he's got a jersey on, and it looks uh, you know it looks idiotic because <laughs> he's a grown man. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome though. Uh, yeah, and, and yeah, and I guess, I guess he's a big fan of the Big Bang Theory, which I, evidently I shat on that on one of the episodes. I don't remember, but I believe it. That sounds like, that sounds like something I would do, because that show is, uh, you know, it's really stupid. Uh, (laughs) so that's awesome, Jody. I really, really appreciate it. And Jody would also pay for jerseys with the Birthday Boy podcast on him. I have to. I have to figure that out. I really do. That's a. It's it's not going to happen in time for Christmas. I wish it could. It's just not. But I that would be that would be a cool thing to do. Birthday boy jerseys. Birthday boy podcast jerseys. We'll see. So thanks, thanks Jody and Joe, Joe and Jody, Joe D. Ah, that'd be great if Joe's last name starts with D. So he's Joe D, and you're Jody, Joe D, and Joe D. Ah, these jokes just write themselves. Anyways, jerseys are great. Big Bang Theory is a hilarious show. Really well written and great characters that uh, I wish I could grow old with. Uh, And you know what else? Um, Positivity is for jerk-offs. It's for idiots. But I'll tell you one thing, gang. Kindness matters. It sure does. So be kind and leave me a five-star thingy on iTunes feedback of any kind uh email birthdayboypodcast at gmail.com let me know what's uh what's up what do you think what are you thinking and uh and that's it i'm done i'm exhausted it's time to go talk to you next week you scumbags okay all right later gators Cliff, Cliff. Cliffy, give me a call back at your convenience. You son of a bitch. You never call. You never answer your phone. You never call your grandmother, Cliff. I'm starting to wonder if you even exist anymore, Cliff. And if so, where?
I haven't seen you or heard from you or anything in so long. You don't come to any of our holiday spectaculars. You don't call. You don't do anything, Cliffy. You're a good-for-nothing. That's what you are, you bum. You're good-for-nothing bum, Cliffy. That's what you are. A good-for-nothing bum. But you're my bum. You're my little baby butter bum boy. You're my little butter boy. You little bum. You little butter bum. Cliffy, I need to tell you something. I know that your grandfather called you last week and had some rather unsettling news regarding me perhaps being pregnant. Well, Cliffy, I'm here to put that those rumors to rest. Although I did in fact think I was pregnant for a short while, uh, perhaps uh, some kind of miracle of science, uh, I can confirm to you, Cliffy, that I am in fact not pregnant. Uh, that would be impossible, despite Despite the many, despite the many hours spent with uh, Jorgen Jürgen Sven in Norway, uh, there is no way for me to be pregnant, Cliffy. However, I do have an update. The pain that I felt and the nausea, uh, that, that was just really bad gas, Cliffy. Cliffy, despite many, many nights of ecstasy spent with... Uh, Jorgen Jürgen Sven in Norway. Uh, uh, again, hopefully you can connect the dots when I tell you that I am, I am not pregnant. Uh, but I do have horrible, horrible gas. And uh, I was rather, um, well, it turns out I was quite constipated for several, several weeks, Cliffy. The last several weeks I've been very constipated. Uh, although I do believe... That is a direct result of the uh, the activities that I engaged in with Jorgen Jürgen Sven in Norway. Uh, I also think that uh, perhaps any kind of pregnancy scare, uh, you know, that could be attributed as well. Although, again, uh, the constipation is a result of... Uh, well, Cliffy, I, I guess I probably don't need to explain any further uh, what's happening here. The pregnancy scare and the severe constipation and gas are both the result of the same activity. Do you understand what I'm saying, Cliff? Do you understand? Do you follow along with me? Yes, your grandmother... Your grandmother is still very, very active, Cliffy. Do you understand what that means? No, of course, you, you wouldn't understand, and I wouldn't know if you do, do understand or not, because you never call your grandmother, Cliffy. Pick up the phone and call me, Cliff. Call your grandma Cliff, Cliff. Anyways, Cliffy, that's all. I just wanted to give you the good news, which is that I'm not pregnant, and I just have very bad gas pains and severe constipation. Okay, Cliffy, that's all I had to say. I'll talk to you soon. Call me, you son of a bitch. Where are you, Cliffy? Call me. Put down your, your own balls... Pick up a phone. Use your right hand for picking up a phone for once, Cliffy, and call your grandmother. Oh, my God, you sick little, you sick little son of a bitch. But that's okay, Cliffy. I can never stay mad at you. You know that, my little baby boy, my little butter boy. My baby Cliffy butter Cliffy boy, baby boy butter boy, Cliffy. 
Okay, call me as soon as you can at your earliest convenience, Cliffy. This is Grandma Cliff Cliff. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Oh, God.